The real state of emergency is not the border crisis. That's just a diversion. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB Saturday afternoons. Today from 3 to 5.30. We have a ton of stuff to cover, though, because uh, just a lot of things happen this week, big and small. And I want to get to them, uh, as many of them as possible. So I might try to do uh, kind of rapid fire as far as I can get it. Uh, But I want to start with... This story of the week, I would say, where uh, President Trump declared a national emergency. So I'm spending all my time yesterday trying to figure out what the implications of that are. We we I think we're in a state of emergency like 30 times over already. People say that, uh, although I couldn't even really get to the bottom of that. I think they have to keep re-signing, which they do, uh, especially the one after 9-11 and all that. Uh, but as I dug in and dug in and, and for all the articles and all the coverage, there really wasn't a great explanation of what this really meant. But what, from what I could tell, it is actually rather specific. They had to say what they're after. And so I finally did get the text of the, uh, national emergency order, uh, which I will read to you. But but one thing that I thought was kind of crazy is this National Emergencies Act from the 1970s allows the president to declare a national emergency, which gives him extraordinary powers. And that just seems silly on its face. It can be overridden by a veto-proof act of the joint session of Congress or if the president himself signs a normal act of the joint session of Congress, which presumably he would not do if he's the one who declared this, I think that should be repealed, the act, and Congress should declare an emergency just like Congress is supposed to declare war. In the Constitution, it says Congress declares war and then calls the president in to actual service as commander-in-chief. They always refer to him as commander-in-chief, but unless they're actually calling him into actual service, he's not commander-in-chief. Similarly, they should declare the state of emergency and call him in as uh, the administrator of that, the executive under the national emergency. They don't do it. So that's what I came up with. And I will read you uh, the national, the what he wrote. So, uh, so from what I could tell, he's not just like Caesar uh, writes himself up as dictator, and who knows if it'll ever end. It's it's actually pretty specific. So, what he directed in in this uh, in what his declaration of emergency is. That uh, there's just two short paragraphs section that are relevant. Section one, the secretary of defense or the secretary of each relevant military department as appropriate and consistent with applicable law shall order as many units or members of the uh, capital R ready reserve to active duty as the secretary concerned in the secretary's discretion determines to be appropriate to assist and support the activities of the secretary of Homeland security at the Southern border. And then the second section is the secretary of defense, the secretary of the interior, the secretary of Homeland security, 
And subject to the discretion of the Secretary of Defense, the secretaries of the military departments shall take all appropriate actions consistent with applicable law to use or support the use of the authorities herein invoked, including, if necessary, the transfer and acceptance of jurisdiction over borderlands. I would really like to know a little bit more about that. I think my favorite congressman, Justin Amash, uh, alluded to that about the real underlying problem of using eminent domain without just compensation or good cause. So I think there's probably stuff in there that matters. The devil's in the details. But I felt like a fool by the end of my pursuit of what the true meaning of the national emergency was when I realized that the bigger news was getting basically no coverage whatsoever. If you could find the real underlying story, it was always just a subsection of an article on the national emergency. The real story is that he signed a $1.3 trillion spending bill, $1.3 trillion spending bill in the exact same way that he signed it last year. From what I can tell, I mean, if there are differences, this was, I think some of it was already signed. Uh, but last year, I, I, and like the article I was reading, I thought I read this article already. It was almost identical to what I was reading last year, which is March 2018, an article in The Guardian. Donald Trump announced on Friday that he had reluctantly signed Congress's $1.3 trillion spending bill despite a threat he made hours earlier to veto the budget and shut down the federal government. The 2,232-page bill uh, was released to lawmakers hours before it passed the House and Senate on Thursday, a day before the shutdown deadline. He vowed, Trump vowed, I say to Congress, I'm never going to sign a bill like this again. Nobody read it. It's hours old. March 2018. Now, I just read from February 2019, this week, in Heritage.org, Congress is back at it with a last-minute massive spending bill that no one will have time to read. Late Wednesday night, House and Senate negotiators released text of a nearly 1,200-page omnibus spending bill, so it was not every single appropriations. That's why it was shorter. But it's still ridiculously long. You cannot get through it. Does nothing to reduce wasteful spending and is a letdown for America's taxpayers. Lawmakers are expected to vote on the bill Thursday evening, less than 24 hours after its release, leaving no time for thorough debate and amendment process. And they did sign it, and then Trump signed it. So we're looking at this insane buildup of national debt, of just ever-rising deficits. The debt, the Congressional Budget Office anticipates that in 10 years, our interest on the debt will be a trillion dollars. So the entirety of the deficit will will be, uh, if we can at least keep it together that much, will be interest on the debt. The debt will be $34 trillion. And I, I just, it doesn't make any sense because it appears that we are the richest society that ever existed. I mean, that's why people are banging down our doors to get in. So if we cannot limit our consumption to what we produce, whoever could, and and what society is paying for that? It's our children who are taxed without representation because we are giving them this tremendous tax burden. So I personally think the number one priority of any president, of any voter, if you're going to be a single-issue voter, should be a balanced budget amendment. And actually beyond that, get that deficit, get the debt down, not just the deficit. The balanced budget would get rid of a deficit. It would mean that every year you only consume what you produce or 
or earn in taxes. And if you did that, spending and taxes would go down because right now we allow deficit spending to reduce our taxes. But we would have more discipline if you immediately felt the impact of that. And then I would say not only do you have to get the budget, the debt down, and I would not write any exception into the balanced budget, even for war, for this reason. Build up a war chest. Build up your coffers to protect yourself. That that would be part of a prudent defense mechanism because if you allow for debt in times of war, all bankers do is foment war. There's a there's a um, famous documentary or even just a saying: all wars are bankers' wars. Bankers lend to both sides. There there's tons of like deep history that demonstrates that bankers conspire to get war started solely to lend the money to the sides, whichever side or both sides, because then they suck up all the wealth of the world. I was reading, I was listening to James Corbett. He did a um, three-part series on the origins of World War I. I'm, I'm only through one part. But this is, uh, I'm sure he, he gets into it in depth. And uh, another, uh, I just, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to read about this stuff. But the fact is, there is no reason, the bankers will, or people who benefit from high debt actually go out of their way to promote programs that are wasteful. When you think about what our, uh, how much taxes we pay, you could write checks to every person below average. So the lower 50% of the people in this country could literally get checks of twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 after taxes with the amount of money that we put into wealth redistribution. I can talk to you about how I figured that out, but the bottom line is, the the purpose of big government seems to me is to generate debt and interest payments that we need a, an awakening here. So if you think there's anybody at the top who's got their eyes open to this, who's on your side and they're not talking about the tragedy of the national debt, then they are not being they are not truly on your side. So Binkley, my producer and sidekick here, uh, I don't always love to go down the economic or debt rabbit hole or open that can of worms. A lot of people are into it, but some people just zone out when they hear the number stuff. But do you let's bring it to pop culture. Did you ever see The Simpsons from the year 2000 where Trump was president? I did. It's called Bart to the Future, I think. <laughs> do you do you remember what Donald Trump's signature accomplishment was? I do not. So Lisa, I believe, became president after Trump, and she had to deal with his final act in office or whatever it was. He declared bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yes. That was the, so I saw articles saying, oh, Trump had vowed on his campaign trail to wipe out the national debt by the end of eight years, which isn't exactly what he said anyway. But it made me think there is more than one way to get rid of debt. You can pay it back. Or you can walk away. Yeah. So I actually don't even think that's such a bad idea because I'm not sure lending money to the federal government is uh, is strictly moral. Right. I actually turned down a job or 
blew myself up in a job interview and they said, well, you think banking is moral? I said, oh, yeah, banking is super moral, except if you're <laughs> selling treasuries. And that is what they were doing. Um, but Russia, people don't realize this because it's a real possibility. Russia declared bankruptcy, I believe, in the 90s. And when you blow up your credit, you really can't borrow that much. So they have incredibly low. I think they have like 13 percent debt to GDP ratio. Ours is like 100 percent. Uh, and that's the the true threat from Russia is that they will remain on their feet while we are slaves to debt. Uh, there's so much more to say on that subject, but we're going to move on to other subjects right after this. 404-872-0750. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We've inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? We're broke. Yep, that was uh, a hard-to-find episode, actually, of The Simpsons. I hope uh, predictive programming is not a real thing, because we will be in trouble. Uh, anyway, or, or maybe not. It's works for Russia. Bankruptcy works for Russia. So... Oh, yeah. Let me just take a call real quick. Um, I want to talk to Michael in Lawrenceville. Uh, Michael, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Hi, Monica. Good afternoon. Hey, what you got? Well, I was uh, just going to tell you, I, I completely agree with your assessment. We had the same bill situation and one point something trillion spending bill last year. And, and here we go again. Uh, I voted for Trump because I was scared to death of Hillary, but I just I'm, I'm starting to get deeply concerned about the amount of debt, but I'm also concerned about how the same government officials, whether Republican or, or Democrat, continue to enrich themselves uh, basically through these spending bills. I'm sure that the contractors for the wall are already lined up, ready to get their payments, uh, just like through the Bush and Clinton administrations. And uh, it, it's just frustrating that it continues and the spending is it's just out of control at this point. Yeah, how do you I, bring it back. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I I I also wonder about like how the trade renegotiations are potentially cronyistic. And one thing I know you had told the screener was about the wealth gap that uh, people at the bottom um, can't get ahead of this. And I actually wanted to make the point that inflation, when they print money or when they like printed money to bail out the banks, not the mortgage holders, not the people, not the taxpayers, but the banks keeping those same people on top. Like, so there is no, what they call creative destruction. But, uh, when they create money like that, it actually benefits holders of assets, people who have wealth rather than wage owner earners. And a very simple way to think of it is the gas station. Uh, if they print a bunch of money and the price of gas doubles, which has happened, do you think that the the wage of the guy working behind the counter at the gas station has doubled over that time? I've observed it myself, and it definitely hasn't. And that, I believe, is the biggest contributor to the wealth gap. So I want to move on to I, – I, I keep calling on that topic if you like, but I'm going to move on a little bit to some interesting stuff about uh, Alexandria Ocasio and – Chuck Schumer versus Mitch McConnell. I'll give you the real story. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB Saturday afternoons, usually 3 to 6. Until 5.30 today, and we were just talking about uh, the big news. I think it was a total diversion, but... 
not in a general sense, but this week anyway, that Trump declared a national emergency of extremely limited scope, although... Uh, just because it's narrow doesn't mean it's not deep, and I do want to see how that shakes out. I suspect that some other purpose is being served that nobody's talking about, but I believe that that made all the big news, and uh, it drowned out completely. Not that there was any attempt to talk about it, but this $1.3 trillion spending bill that got passed and signed within 24 hours, and uh, and the tremendous deficit, debt, interest burden, all of this that is just within 10 years, the interest alone is projected to be a trillion dollars a year. So the entire greater than our deficit or what our deficit is, is, is also projected to be around a trillion dollars a year coming up now. Uh, so this is a very serious. This is truly a national emergency. And um, but Binkley, I was pointing out and you you had a comment on this that. Last year, Trump said, I'm never signing anything like this again. It was passed in the dead of night. Nobody had any time to read it. I'm going to sign it this time. And I remember saying at the time, anybody who has kids knows you can't say, well, I'll let you get away with it this time. But next time, all that means is there's definitely going to be a next time. And you've just kicked the can of being the disciplinarian down the road and weakened your position. This time, he didn't even try to do that. Uh, He just signed it. And um but he said this, but the, it was the same thing, which he didn't mention it this time, but it was over a thousand pages. It was not around for 24 hours. I mean, w- it's absurd that this is standard practice. This is how bills get signed is we give you 5,000 pages two hours before it's got to be the deadline and that we just pass laws this way. I mean, this is a subversion of the democratic process. People should be more upset about this standard practice in Washington than they really are. Yeah, people will say it's not a democracy, it's a representative republic, but I'll I'll say it's not really representing me. I have no way to guide my representatives. It's certainly not representing the children who we are indebting. They're they're not voting right now, yet they're going to inherit a 30, in 10 years, it's going to be a 35 or $34 trillion debt. Yeah, and we have no idea what is in these bills because nobody's read them. It's just like signing uh, when you sign up for a new app or a phone and you agree to the terms of service, but you don't read any of it and you've sacrificed your life to the devil because you just wanted to get the new app downloaded. For sure. And I believe, if memory serves, Thomas Jefferson had proposed that all bills sit for one year untouched before a vote. For the reason, first of all, it would do what you're doing, but I imagine when you were writing stuff out longhand, there was no way there was going to be a 2,000-page bill. His point was laws at the congressional level should be timeless, and you should not be passing things. Maybe the next Congress will vote on it. If it has to sit for a year, half the time it's going to be a totally different group of people. Yeah, that's funny that – Think tanks that want to implement 5G around the world specifically talk about how they cannot wait for the tedious and long legislation policy, a progress to create policy around it. They just need to get it in. Oh, so they're just bypassing that. Yeah, they're like the opposite of what he wanted. Nobody talks about that. Yeah. So uh, I do want to get to a few more calls on this before we move on. Uh, 800 WSB Talk, 404-872-0750. I'm going to David. David. David on line one. Yes, David, you are on with Monica. Hello, Miss Monica, and I love your show. Try to catch it every Saturday that I can. Awesome. But my my concern is, and and maybe I'm just a dumb, 
maybe I'm that's bottom line. I'm dumb. But if you are the only person on the planet that can print a one dollar bill, how do you go in debt when everything in the world is traded in your made up out of thin air one dollar bill? And and to me, my way of thinking, that is the scary thing because if China or Saudi Arabia or whoever comes up and says, we're going to switch from the dollar to the whatever, we're screwed. It, it's not about our debt. It's about our influence, our global influence, and how we can maintain that the dollar is the tradable uh, monetary measure. Yeah, you've you've got a lot there. Let me just say this on that. I believe that the way it worked was Kissinger devised the petrodollar to replace the gold standard. And that what he did was uh, he got Saudi Arabia, for example, to uh, guarantee that all of their purchases, all of their sales of oil would be denominated in dollars. And then they would take those dollars and buy our debt to keep our interest rates low. So this created a demand for all these dollars in the world that are not really just used within our borders. And the way I understand it, the big risk would be if we are no longer the reserve currency of the world and... All that, uh, all that money, all those dollars, say they stop using dollars to denominate oil sales, which some places are doing, uh, all those actual dollars come flooding back into the country. So all of a sudden, there's like eight times as many dollars chasing the same amount of goods. Then that is very harmful to the standard of living of the people, and it completely eliminates the possibility of being able to buy imported objects. Items, so you have to be a self-sustaining economy till you get back on your feet. If I understand it correctly, and that is something to worry about. And why would it happen? Well, if you're like me and you think there is kind of a power behind the scenes on a global level, which I would say are they are the bankers or related to the bankers, whatever. Uh, say it's what Rockefeller said. Rockefeller had said uh, that he wanted. I believe it was David Rockefeller said that that the plan was to bring the world under kind of domination of the centralized power. And in order to do that, it's like a transmission and engine wheels. You can't put together the super, super highly productive American economy uh, and the slow third world stuff from the rest of the world. So the hundred year plan had been to slow down the East to speed up the East and slow down the West until they could come together. So if you really wanted to slow, put the brakes on the West uh, for that final merger, maybe that's just what you would do would be to uh, stop the benefit of the reserve currency. But that is about, I, I understand it in the broad brush strokes, or I think I do. But I believe it gets uh, much more complicated and hard to predict. But I am primarily worried, no matter what the outcome is of this national debt problem, it is a crisis that cannot have a favorable resolution. I think the only favorable resolution would be a bankruptcy, but that in itself would cause such displacement. I do not think that we would us citizens would land on our feet. So I am worried about it, and I don't understand why nobody ever talks about it in a – 
you know, they, at the top anymore. They used to. I'm going to JJ in Fayetteville. Hi, JJ. You're on with Monica. Hello, Monica. How you doing? I just want to. I just want to say you're on track. It's the globalist. The globalist working in banking. They're working in economies, manipulating everything to a one-world currency in Revelation chapter 13. I know you're a Christian, and I'm sure you've looked at Revelation chapter 13. They do not want any borders. They don't want any secured countries. Uh, a wall on the southern border is uh, an obstacle to their plan. And, well, and they're in, they, they want a one-world system where all countries are united under one banner of their control, and they don't want any border countries with borders because that would mean sovereignty and people having control of their own lives. I would say that the wall doesn't matter because they can just open the gate. It does not matter. I mean, I'm not saying it's not reasonable to have a fence or border around your own property. And because we do not actually have absolute property rights anymore, that gives people justification for needing to control the borders that they can control because they're worried. They, you, know, you, you have absolute private property rights. You should. And you can do whatever you want with them. If you're paranoid or judgmental or any of that, doesn't matter. Just put your fence up and defend your, your own property however you want. Uh, but building the wall, if say, – say Donald Trump is completely – sincere in his motives building the wall but somebody else is going to sit in his chair and if you look at the document written by william weld who just declared as a primary challenger to trump and was the disastrous vp candidate at the libertarian party uh and heidi cruz was on the committee that wrote this also they wanted to create a north american union which allowed for the free trade of labor and services and goods and all that, which I'm basically, as a libertarian, in a free society, that would be an element of it. But what they're saying is that what they would do is create a, a, a an organization like the Bilderberg Group to help legislators understand how to make the legislation of each of the countries in the North American Union the most restrictive. So if Canada has fierce labor laws and high minimum wage, Mexico and the United States would have to adopt that same standard. Uh, environmental stuff, all of it. That's what the North American Union, William Weld, Heidi Cruz, and a host of others are talking about. And all that means is you can have your wall, but the door is going to be open. So you have to think about the policy that's behind it. I mean, when you look at the other countries, Sweden and all that, those countries who complain, a wall is not going to solve their problem. It's a policy issue. It's uh, and, and frankly, the policies lead to the immigration. The policies lead to the fact that immigration is disruptive instead of organic and positive. So uh, this is why I'm a libertarian. You can't uh, you can't. There is no just society without uh, liberty true liberty i'm going to go to maurice maurice you're on with monica hey um you know uh kind of back out of this and and realize that the good guys and the bad guys realize that we have a financial system uh you know that's will that needs to be reset uh and so i i believe most of, of what's Trump's doing um, 
as essentially setting the stage to remove uh, the Federal Reserve and other globalist central, all the central banks, basically, uh, because both of them know that they can't pay back the debt, you know, whether it's the, you know, hidden debt that uh, Catherine Austin Fitz talks about or the obvious, easily trackable debt. Uh, But the point is, is they know it's coming down. And they're setting the stage, and I believe that Trump is talking with Putin and China about these very concerns, because they know too. So it's not, and the, the idea, it's about globalism and nationalism. And it looks like nationalism uh, is designed at least to help the people, because, uh, you know, central banks have a, you know, you have to pay interest on any money um, issued. So, um, and the things I'm hearing is that, you know, Trump totally controls the economy. He's got uh, the Federal Reserve guy under his control, and he's doing that for our benefit. I got to I got to take a break, Maurice. I like that you have faith that Trump is Batman uh, and maybe there is stuff going on behind the scenes. But then the entire media governmental continuum is a total fraud and sham because we have no control. We have no idea. They're just keeping us busy while they uh, do their machinations in, in, in a technocracy is what. It sounds like. So let's finish up after the break. I'll get to Gene. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're back. It always gets people's attention when we talk about the debt. And I don't understand why when Donald Trump accepted... Uh, his victory on election night, the only policy issue he identified by name was his big plans for infrastructure. That's the opposite of controlling the debt. It's the opposite of what the people who voted for him wanted. But I knew it was a sign. Anyway, let's wrap up this conversation. But I do want to get to Gene in Kennesaw. Hi, Gene. You're on with Monica. Gene. That could be my problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were uh, Gene, off, still on the Sorry, I thought you're you were on the on air. The, okay, yes. I thought you were still on the wall. And, uh, I no, just, go ahead. Go. I've, say what you want. I've been badgering my senator to death for about a month, Johnny Isaacson, out of uh, Kennesaw. I mean, I, you know, covers my Kennesaw area in Georgia. And uh, they've been listening to me and seem to placate me and listen to me and try to hear me out and whatever. And finally, yesterday, I said, okay, let's talk about what you just passed. Let's talk about this bill. And I went into the deep about the new judges and all the new detention centers, and they can only hold so many people and whatever. And they kind of, you know, finally opened up and admitted they really didn't know what they signed. They finally admitted they didn't know. They just signed it because they said they went along with bipartisan commitment. So they admitted they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, and that is actually a big problem, and that's why I don't like what is smacking of a cult of personality or extreme partisanship where it doesn't matter what they actually do. We don't look at the policy so that I had a very wise caller a long time ago tell me a Democrat could never get gun control passed, but a Republican could because the Republicans silence the right the way the Democrats silence 
the anti-war left, the Republican signs, the fiscal conservative right. I mean, it's really uh, it's it's alarming. So always look at the policies. Never give up your rights. Don't fall for partisanship or personality. Uh, but speaking of personalities, I did tease too talking about Ocasio and uh, and the Schumer McConnell battle. So I will get to that right after the break. This is Monica Perez. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB Saturday afternoons. We're on until 5.30 today. I'm here with my trusty sidekick, Binkley. How you doing, Binkley? Uh, I'm in a state of emergency. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. What's what's the problem? I'm not sure yet. <laughs> but you just think it's the right thing to do. I at just the time. feel it. Needing, needing a headline. You need a couple of headlines going your way. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was what we just talked about for the last hour. If you want to uh, listen to our podcast, Binkley and I do podcasts and also put these WSB shows up without commercials on The Prop Report, short for The Propaganda Report, thepropreport.com. And there's some good stuff up there right now. Uh, A lot of shows we did on the Parkland shooting story last year at this time lots of those up there we did um i want to touch on that during the show i think uh we did a video podcast with the tinfoil hat guys on uh the latest on the jeffrey epstein and clinton pedophile connections so if you want to see us in action binkley and i you can go see that video which was also up on the com right now but one thing that, and oh, there's an, another thing that's um, episode 117 is what we did about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. People, there's this legacy going around about her. And I just tweeted a headline that said, Shock turns to ambition as Ocasio learns she's nominated for Congress. Something crazy like that. Meanwhile, she has a, a a backstory as long as possibly Stacey Abrams of being connected to elite programs and being groomed, being um, getting opportunities that resume building things that I've never. It's up there with Abrams in how unbelievable it is. For example, Binkley, you just pulled out uh, that she did a TED talk in 2010. Yeah, her and her boyfriend both, and the way she's described on the website is very different than the just a girl from the Bronx who slings drinks, as how they describe her now. Right, they because describe... that's her That's her story. She yeah. was just a bartender, barista, mm-hmm. and she just went to that um, – to the XL Pipeline objection, protest, what was it? It was some Native American yeah. protest. I forget what it was. Where the MAGA hat kids antagonist Nathan Phillips, mm-hmm. the tribal elder, uh, was also at those protests. I mean, I wondered what those protests were about. Maybe they're incubators or Standing Rock I secret think. meetings. Yeah, where you don't, you don't. There's no surveillance. I don't know. But anyway, so she 
she has a long history. She was an intern in Ted Kennedy's office when she was at BU. But what and the idea that she did a TED talk back then, I mean, this is sounds like a chosen one. And, and your boyfriend, boyfriend too. So here's the crazy thing about the boyfriend. My mom is staying with me for a while and my sister's here too. And they were my mom's from New York and she said, That that okay, CEO, she had a boyfriend, she was married, I don't know what I I heard about her. So she made my she like my mom likes the People magazine version of any story, and I appreciate it. I mean, people is irresistible. So my sister, good daughter that she is, was trying to find a little of the personal on Ocasio, and she really could not find it. And she uses DuckDuckGo, which she insists is uh, much better for the deep research. I don't know. I it was too complicated for me. <laughs> it takes too long. Um, but I'm going to go back to it after her. She said it was great. Uh, but tell me what uh, – so she couldn't find anything about the boyfriend. So then when I saw just yesterday this typical Ocasio story in the news, some idiot says something, uh, takes a shot at her, and she and it backfires or she hits it out of the park. So some idiot – you know, I'm not – I'm being facetious. I don't even know who the person was, but somebody said uh, on Twitter, oh, Ocasio got her uh, boyfriend a job at the White House. See, he's like on this payroll or on a roll of some kind. And it was then she batted back. No, I just gave him access to my calendar, which she clapped back. That's I've been what married. She, does. <laughs> she claps back. Oh, I see. Not snaps. Back. <laughs> so. I, I mean, my husband does not have access to my calendar. I don't have access to his calendar. I mean, why is somebody keeping her calendar? And then you see the guy. I So that was like layer one of whatever this PSYOP was. And then I see, so it makes her look smart and the other guy look dumb. Then I see the guy, right? He's, so I thought he was this speechwriter for Eric Holder. He wrote um, a, a an important uh piece on Comey, you know, played right into the, I'm not going to get into the details, but he was one of the guys who wrote the article that was responded to by Benjamin Wittes, who later said, oh, Comey told me everything. So like he was part of that whole weird uh, story that was unrolling about Comey, this guy, Riley Roberts. So then, so I was like, oh, wow. So then today I see, oh, it's, that's not her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is another Riley Roberts who looks almost identical to that guy. He's a doppelganger with the same a name. He's almost the same age. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just crazy. And they show a picture of her with this Riley Roberts. They say they've been going out since college. And the picture definitely does not look like someone's been going out. It looked like he – under the picture it said – a uh, volunteer hugs Ocasio at the end of camp, and that's exactly what it looked like. It did not look like anything more than that. I mean, volunteer. Yeah, I don't. I think he was volunteering for exactly what. I mean, that's what it looked like. So there's something very strange going on with this story. There always is something strange going on with her. Uh, I haven't cracked the code on what the goal is, other than to make her always look fast, streetwise, sharp, more than a match for her. Uh, hateful detractors. She's the youth targeting the youth, and she's in the House of Representatives. Right, but but I see this guy, 
whichever one of these guys is really the guy. Maybe the other guy who looks like her handler, who would be her handler. One yeah. of his jobs, he says, he, he hires himself out as as core narrative creator for politicians. That's one of his jobs. So I think maybe they ha- they found the doppelganger as a beard for when the real guy is in there whispering in her ear. because it, And in either case, it looks a little, uh, you know, offensive to me to find that this hero of color, heroine of color, if you will, is, uh, you know, has a Svengali possibly who's like the privileged white guy, you know. I just, I don't like that. I, I don't know where they're going with that, if that's part of the narrative, if that's part of... You know, if they're Quite setting possibly. me up to say something like that so they can, you know, there's also punch back the presentation of him. And I've seen this more and more. He might be presented as the 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 way that a supportive feminist boyfriend is supposed yeah. to be for. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is true. Yes. And then we can all come together on that. That that is you can check the box if you're a supportive feminist that. Yeah, I think you've got, you know, there's another another layer to the end. Let's see how far it goes. But what but more importantly, I do like to talk about policy, not personal. She Ocasio is credited for this new Green New Deal. And what what that is, what that very clearly is, because it's deliberately over the top, is what you introduced us to this expression, I think, a while back, Binkley last year. Uh, messaging, a messaging bill. So define a messaging bill. It's going to enter my glossary when my glossary is back in action. What is that? A messaging bill, according to the Indivisible Guide, is is a bill that's not intended to become law. Most of the bills won't become law, the guide says, since they're not going to pass Senate. But that's not the point. The point is the long game. So they use it because they want to signal what their position is going to be. They want to attempt to get people to sign, to co-sponsor it so they can make it the platform of the party, the Democratic Party. And they want to they want to make that the they want to seed it in people's minds so that in the future they can get closer and closer to actually putting it in law. So it's a propaganda I would, message. I would say I would bring that to an expert. First of all, people don't know the indivisible guide. Indivisible is like the resistance against Trump. Uh, but. An expression that we've heard a lot is incrementalism. So Ron Paul uses that. So this would be kind of the target for the incrementalists. It's throwing it out there, and then that's the goal. Or if if you have to have an extreme goal, maybe splitting the difference is still extreme, but it's doable once you throw it out there. You move what's called the overtime. Right, exactly. that's exactly what, what, what it people is. Are okay with. Okay, so here's the thing. So the New Green Deal, clearly a messaging bill. Then Mitch McConnell which I think is kind of funny, says, all right, let's bring it to a vote. That's great, yeah. Which is great. He doesn't bring anything to a vote that he doesn't want to bring to a vote. So Chuck Schumer goes bananas, and I just <laughs> this just cracks me up. So I'm reading from an article quoting, Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer on Thursday ripped into Republicans for planning to force a vote on the Green New Deal. Calling the plan a stunt, a cheap, cynical ploy, and a game of political gotcha. The Republican leader announced he's going to bring up a resolution he intends to vote against, Schumer said on the Senate floor. Now that is what the American people hate about Congress, the pointless partisan games. So let me get this right. Schumer thinks that McConnell should only bring up 
resolutions he intends to vote for. Like he should literally use his own voting platform to run that chamber. But in any case, it's hilarious that Schumer is calling them, calling his bluff, a cynical political ploy when that comment proves that the bill was a cynical political ploy. Exactly. <laughs> I just, you know, you really can't make this stuff up. Like, that's why I thought this article was real. I was like, that would be too much even for the PSYOP generating machine. Can I give you one more line about messaging can, bills that relates to that? Seconds. It says... Uh, a messaging bill is to present an alternative vision for the country to see an alternative to Trump's racist, inhumane, and sexist America. Well, the funny thing is that vision was not too far from Trump's vision that it was supposed to be a response yeah. to, but it was just a pile on to. More after the break, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're back. I'm trying to hit all the stories of significance or interest that caught my eye this week. So we're kind of moving on from topic to topic. Binkley, you sent me this one on uh, on Bill Cosby, which kind of blew my mind. And I read it. It was the article you sent me, I believe, or the one I found was for in Vice. And it quotes Bill Cosby as saying, my political beliefs, my actions of trying to humanize all races, genders and religions landed me in this place surrounded by barbed wire fencing, a room made of steel and iron, Cosby said Wednesday in his first statement since his imprisonment four months ago. So I now have a temporary residence that resembles the quarters of some of the greatest political prisoners, (laughs) Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Randall Robinson and Dr. Benjamin Chavis. The Vice article, uh, when I read it, though, leaves out. And then they just throw him under the bus. How could he, you know, he's a rapist. How could he? Uh, he's not helping himself here, Compare though. himself to this. But he was. And I'll tell you why. So I did, Binkley and I did the WSB show. It's episode 111 on thepropreport.com. That's short for propaganda report, thepropreport.com. Episode 111 where I talked about Kavanaugh and Bill Cosby and whose rights were really abused. And it's definitely Bill Cosby. And uh, so here's here's so here's the full statement. So Vice takes that half a statement and throws him under the bus with it. Here's his full statement, though. The first half of the statement was this. I heard about this NBC interview. I think it was with his spokesperson or lawyer or whatever uh, from the residents here. Here's why I have no remorse That was something that was cited in this interview by the lawyer says he had no remorse. I have no remorse and never will have remorse. I was given a deal. I settled out of court for $3.8 million. I waived my Fifth Amendment rights. I was declared not guilty in 2005 by the Commonwealth and never charged. I missed that. However, a low-life district attorney and a corrupt judge needed me guilty now. Not for justice, but for their political aspirations. They say, Mr. Cosby, you must attend these classes. Why? One word, entrapment. I don't know about the classes. But this proved, I think that that out of con- just printing the half a statement showed that he was not 
getting a, a, a fair hearing. But I urge you to listen to episode 111 on thepropreport.com to get all the ins and outs of his case. But I just, no one's going to read the whole statement, so I thought I'd do that. After the break, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, and we are... Until 5.30 today, if you want this podcast or other podcasts, go to thepropreport.com, short for Propaganda Report. And uh, I've been hitting a lot of topics today that are kind of follow-up on previous topics, giving you some episode numbers if you want to catch up on the kind of full-length backstories here. But the next thing I want to talk about, it has, I think we did one, two, three, four, five, six, six podcasts and WSB shows on this. This is the this week marks the one year anniversary of the uh, events in Parkland. The story is that a former student killed 17 students. Uh, It was in Broward County and I immediately saw some things about the story that made me uncomfortable that I did not like. I did not like Sheriff Israel and Superintendent Runcie coming out within hours of notifying the parents which of their kids were not coming home, laying out agenda after agenda after agenda, offensive to the nth degree from being able to detain people on mental health grounds without any accusation from anyone except for a agent of government to Superintendent Runcie using the opportunity to advocate for uh, raises for teachers. So uh, there were a lot of offensive things that came out of that. Sheriff Israel was being presented as a hero that week, but a small amount of digging showed that that guy had a backstory that did not (laughs) betoken hero. So Binkley and I did some shows on that and were promptly demonetized and I was even my show which I think was a WSB show so WSB allowed it to air but YouTube took it down and would not respond to my objections you're supposed to be able to object to that if you get three strikes you're completely gone I never maybe you did for me a little bit Binkley I don't know but I don't think I ever posted to my channel again after that and uh, I called a few trends that I saw I uh, uh whatever or memes Goals, agenda items, really, that I saw emerging that week. I called them, and one of them was I thought I, I could not find any anything but the official narrative when I searched on Google or YouTube or whatever. Nothing. Normally, when you're doing your own research prior to that, you could find other accounts, maybe citizen journalism or witness videos it was all gone that day and i said this is the day the internet closed down little did i know that i myself would have was going to be purged completely and binkley got took down too just by being related to me for no apparent reason on wordpress i did a whole show on that that was episode 109 i they really set me and thousands at least of other people back uh, Parkland did that. There's there's a lot of things that came out of it. Uh, and then a week later, the yeah. the story you were talking about with Sheriff Israel started to become mainstream news, and all oh. of a sudden, it was okay to talk about it. And they were saying uh, what other people were saying was just uh, nasty and offensive. I wasn't saying that. I was laying out facts, and I was accused 
the reason I was given is that I was bullying. So I was a bullying an elected official who is advocating for gun control and a complete uh, removal of rights. But there's one thing that you've been following more than I have, but I identified it the day. So Superintendent Runcie came out and gave a speech and basically let laid out the agenda items the within hours of this happening. It was not believable. Even somebody who was that far removed from it that happened in his school, he should have been visibly shaken. Instead, he was laying out a policy position. But one of the things that that I he said something I identified right off the bat, which was, I can tell you this, something like this. He said, this is the generation. If we don't do something about this, they will. The young people will. That's what he said within hours of this happening. And we all know what was launched from then on. Right, Binkley? Yeah. Take it away. David Hogg and the young exactly. people. <laughs> the hogster. And then and all the other stuff. I mean, do you can you just rattle off a few things that 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 whole youth movement did over the past year? They went on a, a tour signing up as many young people to vote, registering and getting people getting them to vote for who they tell them to vote for as possible. It was a nationwide tour where they used this these fear appeals and this these revolutionary appeals of the young people will now lead, which, strangely enough, Stacey Abrams also filled this role back in 1993, echoing almost the exact same type of talking points that David Hogg echoed last year. Yes, that was an interesting clip. Maybe we'll get to that, but I want to get to the um, take off some of the content, too. Uh, now they're talking about lowering the, the voting age to 17. Yeah, let's get it down to one. I I mean, the way the debt is going, it's really, in all fairness, it should be pre-utero because we are indebting future generations. with they, It is taxation without representation, period. When people are complaining about folks coming over the border, it's like, you know what? They're signing up for more than they're probably bargaining for. Yeah, absolutely, and I would argue that the level of thinking that a lot of voters are doing at this point because of the propaganda does not exceed the level of thinking that a toddler does. Yeah, well, it's like when I was in Peru, and it was the ballots were designed for illiterate people, and there was one of the things was vote for the pencil. It was like a picture of a tree, a picture of a pencil, and they had boxes next to it. And clearly, the party that picked the pencil had a great advantage because somebody's in there who can't read, and they're like, I have a pencil. There's a pencil. There you, you know, go. That's literally the level. And I don't know about Peru, but I believe I knew someone from Brazil who said that voting was mandatory. They give you a day off. Like, it's— yeah. So that's what, what they want to do here that then if you're not really taking an interest, I mean, but the bottom line is regardless of voting, I don't believe in mob rule. I believe in objective rights. I believe in the rights and protections that are in the Bill of Rights and no voting is necessary. You're really just voting for administrators who are supposed to stick to those laws, but they don't. And they use numbers on the on the roster to say we have carte blanche to to rule you, and they really don't. And one of the some of the stuff that came out of this Parkland thing directly uh, uh, attacks our rights. One thing that I saw come up uh, a couple of times after that was the alleged perpetrator. Uh, people said I read a couple of articles saying he doesn't. He's what he did was so bad he doesn't deserve a public defender. <laughs> Right. As if a public defender is an entitlement, isn't like a welfare thing, but it's not. It's 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 it may be the only thing that is like an entitlement in the Constitution, but it's of it's a protection from government. It's a protection, not entitlement from the government 
setting you up, which may have happened in this case. There is a lot of funny business in the backstory of this case from Sheriff Israel's involvement there. Uh, was it, he was a coach at that school, if I recall correctly. His kids went there. Um, and that stuff, the only reason I even found it suspicious is that it was not discussed in the media. Nobody ever asked him questions about that. Did you know, did your kids know this guy? That was weird. Yeah, and everything about reason. Sheriff Israel was very odd, and you called it right away. Oh, yeah, because I, I looked into He had been to, like, these national training camps for police leaders. It was very weird. But a couple of other weird things that happened were that within a couple of months after that and a month before that, three uh, active duty, it looks like, deputies in the sheriff's department died without much explanation and without much media coverage. One, uh, the month before, Michael Ryan looks like he was just, uh, they said he was, was died of a heart attack, but it appeared that, that a former inmate shivved him in the parking lot. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Look up Michael Ryan, Broward County deputy, uh, death. And then two other young guys died, Marshall Peterson and uh, Jason Fitzsimons. And they really it did not get the kind of national news that you, when people, I mean, that guy, the Michael Ryan story seemed like a line of duty kind of thing. Anyway, so I just, when I when the media doesn't cover stuff the way I would expect them to, I wonder if, there's more to the stories, and I just don't know. And it's very upsetting to me, and I, I don't bring it up to cause trouble. I just bring it up to just give these guys some some uh, uh, credit, like so many other people get the credit nonstop. Why are these guys not being um, honored? So because I like just, you said, it would cause trouble. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that. I have no idea. But why don't I know? Why can't I find any information about these people? They should be uh, celebrated for their service or whatever. You know, let it, let, let's hear about it. And we're not. And I always think that's weird around something that's like a major, major story. Why are we not hearing some of these interesting details? They're just interesting. Anyway, I hate to go to those places because it's dark. Um, so... Yeah, it was the end of the internet. I noticed that. And they also talked a lot about mental health issues. And I got, really got a great um, hat tip or tip from a guy, from a tweet. The name is Pliskin. I've mentioned this before about a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Zaz, S-Z-A-S-Z, a libertarian, who cautions us against mental health as a diagnosis Generally, he says that that is it's too easy to apply a mental health issue to anybody on Earth. It's not objective. I'm not sure how much I am qualified to evaluate his opinions on that, but I am qualified to evaluate this. And he's absolutely right. You cannot use mental health as an excuse to take away somebody's liberties or rights without a jury trial. Or yeah. whatever. I don't know if he recommends that, but he says these are rights that you cannot lose because somebody in the government says that you're not worthy of them. That is a right reserved to your peers. And I do not see, I agree with him, and I, I take it one step further and say, why do people accused of violent crimes, this this kid who's who uh, supposedly did the shooting, why does he get... He should have rights. He should have defense against the government. He should have protections. He should you, you cannot shouldn't just believe media reports or uh, government agents when they say he's the guy who did it. But 
when you're accused of mental health issues, why do you not have the same rights as people who are accused of extremely violent, heinous crimes? You should. They should not take your guns away or without a jury of your peers. And uh, and I even am uh, I frown on plea bargains for that reason. I just feel like the moral hazard of being able to take people's rights away without due process, real, true due process is is the gravest danger right now in our society. And they can use that mental health claim to lock people up indefinitely. And you, and you get Ezra Pound. I still wonder if he was locked up because he was crazy or because he objected to the Fed. Like, look that up. He commissioned um, Eustace Mullins to write the kind of predecessor to G. Edward Griffin's The Creature from Jekyll Island. And they put him in the insane asylum. He's quite an excellent uh, poet and writer, Ezra Pound. Anyway, so, yeah, the rabbit hole is deep on this stuff, but I'm just trying to alert people to, you know, do your own research. Don't believe anything. And you know what? You don't even have to know the answers. All you have to remember is don't let them take your rights away. Don't let them take Bill Cosby's rights away because you don't like what they're saying he did. And even what he says he did is disgusting. So, but don't you, this is the bottom line. You don't need to believe in news. You just need to know (laughs) your rights. So uh, let us, let's take a quick break. And and then I'm going to tell you how this all leads to what I saw at the Grammys this year. Uh, 404-872-0750. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like... uh... Your opinion, man. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. Uh, Let me get to a quick call. I'm going to James in Atlanta. James, you're on with Monica. James, you're on with Monica. Hello? Hey, James, you're on with Monica. You're on the air. Hey, Monica, how you doing? Good. Didn't realize the commercial was over, so I'm a little... Just threw that at you. Uh, yeah, well, I just wanted to say that uh, it's uh, innocent until proven guilty is just uh, it's, it's, it's not true. It's never been true in the United States. It's always been guilty until proven innocent. You know, I mean, you're always you're always guilty. The, 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 the criminal justice system is not your friend. Neither is the government. They, you know, the DEA is with the CCA and they and they want a lot. You know, the, these judges have stocks. And bonds and in in uh, in prison stock. And, oh, um, yeah, there was a, cr- a criminal reform bill that nobody talks about. Got passed. Trump signed it. This first step act. It has a lot of money allocated to this company. I always forget the name of it. It uses prison labor at like a penny an hour. It's riddled yeah. with corruption. It drives competitors out of business, and nobody talks about that stuff. That the prison industrial complex is corrupt to the core. Yeah. Yeah, and all these and all these and, and all these states are already implementing this mental health thing with gun with guns. I think a lot of like you know you got places like California, Oregon, Washington State. I can say that you have a. I can report to the police that I think you uh, something is mentally wrong with you. They don't even do. They don't take you to court. They can come to your house and take your guns away from you because I said that I think that you have mental issues. I can and, report you. And that's just the first step. I think the guns is a first step. 
and that, like what this Thomas Az says, it's a it's going to be just a universal uh, control mechanism, even to the point where they're taking away the privilege between psychiatrists and patients. It's really it is something to watch out for. Let's uh, wrap it up after the break. We're on till five thirty. This is Monica Perez. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Saturday afternoons, usually 3 to 6, until 5.30, close. That's today. If you want to catch our podcasts of this show or the other podcasts that my producer, Binkley, and I do, go to thepropreport.com, short for Propaganda Report. And you can listen to your heart's content, I hope. We have, like, I think six podcasts on the Parkland story I highly recommend. Uh, I wanted to give you an update on a story that the MAGA hat kids, I did a show on that not too long ago. Normally I think everything and everybody in a, in a big, big story is fake. I did not think these kids were fake. And I actually thought that their behavior was inspirational. And I don't usually say stuff like that, but I, because I'm like, Oh, you don't know, blah, blah, blah takes courage even to just stand up for those kids and boy did it take courage for them to stand their ground respectfully and i will say the diocese issued a statement they apologized for rushing to judgment because they threw the kids under the bus they said they were bullied into it and they should not have succumbed those kids didn't succumb to bullying and that they investigated and found no evidence of the kids making racist or offensive comments or doing anything wrong so for what that's worth you know, there's just a little, uh, one little data point. And I saw a tweet come through. I want to hear Binkley read it, if you would. This tweet comes from Johnny Cook, who tweets, in my honest opinion, the top story of the week was the resurrection of deep state swamp monster and Ruby Ridge defender Bill Barr. Frowny face. Yes, Johnny Cook did alert me to... Uh, Certainly the thread to pull on Bill Barr regarding Ruby Ridge, but there was so much more to it that I did a show on it. That was episode 123, Bill Barr. Uh, he was confirmed by the Senate this week. Every single Republican senator voted in his favor except for Rand Paul. Rand Good for Paul. him. Go Rand Paul. Now, I mean, I don't know how much of a – when he's when, when Rand Paul is the swing vote, that's more pressure – but uh, that was the right vote for sure. That guy is bad news. <laughs> so, uh, but I wanted to tell you, so I went to the Grammys. I go to the Grammys when I when wow. I'm invited, yes. So I tweeted a picture of myself. If you ever want to see me looking the best I will ever look before, during, or after this point in my life, <laughs> I just tweeted a picture. I had to do it. I'm not like a selfie person, but you got to, you got to like make it a matter of the record. <laughs> this is this. Get on the as record. I can look. Get on the record. This is me peeking. So um, I 
That's at Monica Press Show, just in case you missed it. So anyway, uh, so I was at the Grammys, and it was I've been to the Grammys before, and usually it's fun. This was like the weirdest one. It was totally a contrived like Me Too moment. It was the weirdest thing. And it was hard to watch. People were like, was it even on TV? Blah, blah, blah. And then Michelle Obama came out. Oh, great. I know. And you know what? I don't even care. Like, she doesn't make my skin crawl or anything. But the people around me were so gushing. I mean, gushing. And I was just like, oh, come on. And this is what I don't understand about Hillary or Michelle. Like, since when is being the great woman behind the great man a feminist thing? You know what I mean? She's the wife of a president. I do not understand. But my mother, she is very astute. She said she's running for president. She's running for president. She might. So... I would like to see her do it. And Trump referred to her as Obama's wife <laughs> the whole time. I mean, it does drive that point in that that how is that their uh, their hero? But anyway. But what really I thought was noteworthy about the Grammy, something I wanted to alert you to, is that Lady Gaga. So I, I recently talked about Adam D'Angelo, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin. I just found out Ronan Farrow. Uh, the, really? Yeah. Um, and this uh, Lady Gaga, they all went to this uh, talented youth center at Johns Hopkins and unlike other talented youth programs that it gets lumped into this one started out as I'm not sure if it still is or not but but when I did my research and it's not that easy to find about these particular people there that it was first of all in order to get in you have to get in the 50th percentile on your SATs when you're in seventh grade if I'm not mistaken so uh that's that's a, an incredible achievement, in my opinion. And what they're doing is they're trying to find, this was the original premise of this program, uh, hyper-intelligent people. So not just genius level, but like genius among genius. And then observe them. It's not a camp for them to learn. It's a place for them to be observed. And I, I and it benefits them, I believe, but it's it's a little deeper than it is portrayed and it's rarely mentioned it's not even in her wikipedia page i was the reason i commented it the other day is that the guy who runs quora which is definitely a talking point machine was in it with mark zuckerberg his bio fails to say that zuckerberg went to exeter probably the number one high school in the country as a junior he transferred in there from that program or after being in that program so unusual seems like these people are inserted into society as Pied Pipers or change agents. They're people who are capable of of a tremendous amount of, um, uh, first of all, memorization, but like a lot more than that. They can just, they're just uh, incredible phenoms. And Lady Gaga is one of these people. So like her story that she was passed over and had to fight her way up is another legacy that, in my opinion, totally falls apart. She studied method acting for 10 years. So you got to realize she is an actress. And she came out and did this. uh, So when I see her uh, identifying an issue, I feel like it is you got to take notice of it. So. She came, and it was like a little hard to believe because she came out blubbering. And then when I went back and looked at the video, I saw that she had no tears, and I thought that was weird. So you listen and tell me if she wasn't trying to sound like she was crying, and also listen to 
the theme that she's emphasizing. So, Binkley, can we have that clip? Yes. If I don't get another chance to say this, I just want to say I'm so proud to be a part of a movie that addresses mental health issues. They're so important. And a lot of artists, a lot of artists deal with that. And we got to take care of each other. So if you see somebody that's hurting, don't look away. And if you're hurting, even though it might be hard, try to find that bravery within yourself to dive deep and go tell somebody and take them up in your head with you. So uh, that, to me, that the, the Parkland thing was a big emphasis on mental health. I just feel like it's, it's, it's getting the drumbeats of mental health as a so, as social control mechanism are getting louder and louder. The Trump and, story, too. Say it again. The Trump story last week about how his mental health caused – there's a book. His mental health caused people in the, in the uh, officials to want to invoke the 25th Amendment or evoke. Invoke, I think. But, yeah, it would be – yeah, maybe these things come out in a theme. I'm talking about a longer term. You know, the big thing, I think this is a major threat to our rights because mm-hmm. they use this as and and uh, yeah actually that that does dovetail exactly with what you're saying they're using it as a way to rob him of his position yeah you know like robbing you of your rights and as uh i think james said to the screener but he didn't say it on air i believe is that like kavanaugh had even though for me, Kavanaugh in his hearings, that isn't as egregious a uh, a loss of rights. You don't really have a right to a Supreme Court justice hearing. You have justice. You know, justice would be nice. But people started thinking about due process in that context. But in reality, the next step is actually taking due process away when you're just sitting at home doing your thing and they don't like what you're tweeting about or whatever, you know, I just, I worry that the mental health thing is, is a going to be an excuse to rob us of the right to jury trial and all that. And, and I just have to credit that Zaz, Thomas Zaz as pointing that out. And here we are. So, oh, and I wanted to point out, and then we can wrap it up after the break. I know you have some stuff you want to bring about the 5g and uh, a couple other things. The last week I referred to a study that telecom workers who are uh, in an electromagnetic, highly charged environments have a much higher rate of suicide. So thank you to More News One for finding that for me. I tweeted it. You can go to my Twitter feed at Monica Perez Show. And after the break, I want to hear some more of your uh, scary stuff on 5G, Binkley. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man house! A man house! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are wrapping it up. It's Monica Perez. Binkley's here with me. And uh, we had a few little last things to button up. I wanted to get into some of the 5G stuff. But that is a big topic. I think we should carve out some more time for that and uh, try to dig in. The information is out there in very prominent mainstream sources. I don't know why nobody's sounding the alarm as it's going up without debate. 
Uh, but we can talk about that when we have more time. A few things I wanted to hit were we were going to revisit the Jeffrey Epstein thing. And uh, in light of the fact that Alexander Acosta is being a, a, investigated by the Department of Justice for his sweetheart deal. But Binkley and I agree if you open that can of worms, boy, you're not going to be able to control what comes out. I did notice a new little uh, interesting fact, though. One of the two, there was a cop and a police chief who were just not wanting to let this go. And I was trying to, like, investigate, see what those guys were saying these days. And the cop uh, is dead at 50 with no explanation, very little media coverage. So he won't be giving us any more information. And that is sad. And the whistleblower went to jail for longer than Epstein, and uh, he also ended up dead. So if you want to see, we did a lot in that video with the tinfoil hat guy, so you can go to thepropreport.com and check that video out. And there was something I tweeted the other day, Binkley, you caught on to this, that I just, out of nowhere, maybe it's obvious to everybody, but I thought, the World Wide Web, does that mean like we're getting caught up in it? Because I feel like with surveillance and censorship and addiction and all that, that we, that we are just absolutely, I cannot get my kids out of it. And even if I try to, they need it like for school now, you cannot function without it. So tell me what you found and where. This is from studies and intelligence. This is a monthly thing that the CIA releases and in it. What, when was it from? This one's from 2017, June. Okay. So not before the fact, but. Now, it says World Wide Web is apt. Psychologically vulnerable people like insects and a spider's web do get snared online. In addition, while they may believe they have found relatively safe outlets for their pathological or hazardous behavior, they are substituting themselves. They are subjecting themselves to the possibility that they will be tracked and risk suffering crisis situations. Well, they want us to believe that they're talking about kitty porn or whatever. But first of all, actually, we had an article. I remember it distinctly. I can't think of it off the top of my head, like where I found it. But it was where the U.S. government, maybe in conjunction with the British government, was putting out ISIS videos. And they said it was as a trap. But there was never any follow-up. They never actually tracked down any of those people. So it's possible that this trapping mechanism is, you know, I always refer think of, like, lead us not into temptation. Like, it's wrong to put that stuff up there just to trap people by accessing some deeper part of themselves that they would not have, that our social mechanisms are there to keep from happening. Yeah. Th- this study is actually about targeting people to get them to to commit espionage, compromising them is so much easier through through the internet. That's wow. what this is about. Wow, wow, because they do. I mean, the terrorism is entrapment. A lot of times, um, you see people being silenced for their political, uh, like Sachtleben, who was the whistleblower on the second underwear bomber, who was involved in like OKC. He was an FBI bomb expert. He was there for Oklahoma City. He was there for Underwear One. He was there for I Underwear think, One. Underwear One. World Trade Center 93. This is how I do my shorthand in my, you know. And he was there for all the big ones. And then Underwear Two, he was just like, I'm out. And they arrested him for kitty porn. 
Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. So, yes, that, but but beyond the fact that these are people who are vulnerable because of their predilections, they regular people get sucked in just the addiction, addictive. You know, you hear the Facebook guys, you hear them say this is uh, you are going to get sucked in just by the dopamine hit of your friends liking. I tweeted my Grammy dress. It's they talk awesome. about that in this, like this article also. Hit heart. Now I'm like, you know, I want that. I like it. I was like, wow, people liked it. That's so great. And I was really, really happy. Genuinely happy that people liked it. That's not that's a normal, you know what I mean? It's normal, but they are they're accentuated, exaggerated. I mean, this article is basically like the digital world has created a pool of people that we can get to commit espionage at will is kind of the conclusion I draw from it. Or worse. I mean, is it espionage <laughs> or is it terrorism? You know what I mean? Like yeah. they do false flags too that way and they talk about it. Anybody who wants to help us out can share the show with their friends, can leave a rating on iTunes. It helps us show up higher in the search engine rankings. Or if you want to leave a donation, which that really helps us out, you can do so via PayPal or you can become a Patreon. We need all the help we can get right now. And... Every little bit counts. So go to thepropreport.com for all the back stuff and this one coming forward if you haven't heard the whole thing. And uh, and we'll be back next week. This is Monica Perez.